Hello and welcome to Army of Crime, the internet's only podcast. I am Dustin and I'm here with my brother, Matt. That is accurate so far. Uh, on this podcast, we discuss comic books. And today we are going to discuss a an important work in the history of comics and one that looms large in any discussion of the art form and that the Japanese series from the mid 1980s Akira, which was also adapted into a feature film that itself was then kind of a landmark in animation. So Matt, Akira is a published, um, was originally serialized in magazine form and we, I believe both read it in a six volume uh, translated edition by Kodansha Comics. It is a sort of cyberpunk science fiction epic by Katsushiro Otomo and is widely considered to be one of the greatest works in this medium ever made. And this was a first time reading for both of us. So Matt, what did you think of Akira? Did it live up to the reputation? I would say it actually did, and it's it's very cool because I like, um, as a tiny aside, I would consider myself a pretty big fan of like cyberpunk as a genre, right? And cyberpunk, the too long didn't read version, often is something about William Gibson or Neuromancer. Uh, but Akira started in, I think 1982 was when it was the very first issue was first published. Um, and I think it's definitely should be considered as one of the streams you know, going into the cyberpunk genre. Perhaps it gets overlooked. I would say, actually, as another aside, Judge Dredd also gets overlooked as a influence on cyberpunk. But I thought it definitely lived up to the expectations. Um, I didn't really know what to expect going into it because I've seen the movie before. And, of course, the movie is just a slice of of what's in here. Um, there's a lot going on it's it's a political there's a political angle um the main characters are like this biker gang uh it starts out it's like cyberpunk it's post-apocalyptic it sort of veers further into the post-apocalyptic genre um almost like with a mad max angle it goes into at the end it's almost into like a, a body horror it almost veers into like a fantasy sort of like a very high science fiction. Um, there's a lot to, there's a lot to take in. It's a, it's a hefty, it's a hefty thing. I mean, it's like a stack of bricks when you have them all in front of you. I think it uh, totals to around like 2000 pages, but we should probably give a quick for people who are not familiar with the, uh, just a basic recap of the story, which um, there are a fair number of twists and turns that go on, but essentially you have, uh, it starts as the story of it's set in what's called Neo Tokyo, which was destroyed, which the original Tokyo and a bunch of other cities were destroyed in what's labeled as World War Three. So it's set in a new Neo Tokyo that was rebuilt after this World War Three. And the principal characters starting out are this teenage biker gang, primarily with Kenida. Tetsuo and Canada and Tetsuo. And then they 
let's see. So basically, what happens is they end up interacting with this shadowy government organization that has these super-powered children that they're developing as super-weapons. And Tetsuo ends up becoming one of these children. And so then the whole story is kind of about the ramifications of this government program and Kenida. And then the other main character is a woman named Kay, who is part of a resistance initially trying to liberate these children who are like government experiments. And then from there, things uh, spiral out into like 100 directions. Yeah. One of the things I liked about the story is there's a lot there's a lot of like dueling opposites in the story because you have the revolutionaries fighting against the government. But you also have the government trying to keep a lid on like the mutant children. And as the story goes on, I mean, like you, you understand why uh, why they're trying so hard you know, to kind of keep a lid uh, on this situation. So they're not just like evil bad guys, if you, if you know what I mean. Um, like there's a lot of angles and, and very few of the characters are like all evil or all good. Um, there's just a lot of like groups like fighting against each other. And as you mentioned, the main characters start out as like this biker gang. So there's like this biker aesthetic um, in the beginning. And yeah, there's like psychics and mutants there's like science fiction. It's like I said, it, it's a lot. Um, and I really liked it. And I liked the way that the characters would sort of evolve throughout the story. And I don't want to just like tell everything because if you've just seen the movie, there's like a lot that you're not. There's, there's If you've just seen the movie, you, you should still read the thing because there's a lot that happens in it. Um, As I recall, you... the movie is basically like the first part of part one setting up the characters and then it like skips to the very end of like volume six and like everything in the middle is kind of like left out. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously it's like 2000 page thing condensed down into like a 90 minute film, but so they're very much like different things, but yeah. So what's interesting about the, the, the book is, well, first of all, like, as you get into it, you have, Japan in the shadow of a city being destroyed by a a weapon of mass destruction, you might say, to use a modern parlance, which, of course, reading it now, it exists in the shadow of the American bombing of Hiroshima. And there's an idea, as you, as you get more into the story of um, the, like, the larger story of Akira, it becomes clear that what it's really concerned with is sort of like the military industrial complex and like the moral rot in a society and in a country that's been like captured by the military industrial complex, because initially there are like dueling political factions and that are trying to like gain control of the superpowered children who, who are basically like, you know, walking nuclear bombs, if you will. I mean, they're not really that, but like metaphorically, it's kind of like what you're dealing with. And so I, I thought from like a political perspective and from, you know, being made by someone who's from the only country that's ever been like attacked with nuclear bombs, I thought it was uh, really fascinating to see like sort of a science fiction perspective of this country or like the city of Neo-Tokyo that's been kind of like 
suffering under the moral rot of like a supernatural arms race and like the military industrial complex. And also it's interesting too, how like it starts out like with this biker gang, which sort of connects with another popular strain in Japanese like popular culture, which is like the youth run amok sort of like subgenre, which was like a big thing in the seventies. So it kind of starts out with that, with these like kids like uh, Kanida and Tetsuo originally are like in the school and they have to like deal with the, like their teachers annoying them. And once you get to the end, it's kind of like comical to think of that as being like an obstacle at the beginning because of where it all ends up going. So yeah, it's, it's uh, I don't know if any of that made any sense, but it's like a very, yeah, it's very, it's, yeah. Spra- it's, it's like a huge sprawl of yeah, ideas and I- at work. Yeah, and I think the the idea of the mutant children as a sort of arms race is is an interesting idea because it becomes clear as you're reading this, by the time you're into like volume two, it becomes clear that they're actually very scared of the children. The, right. Like the like the colonel is really like like they're strapped to this thing that they can't really get rid of and they're just trying to like channel it or control it. But like they're the you, ones who created it and put it into motion. They're the ones that created it and put it into motion, and now the best they can do is like is try and channel it or control it somehow, which which I think is an apt metaphor for, you know, you mentioned like nuclear yeah. weapons or weapons of mass destruction. Like you can't put them back in the box. So, even as much as you might wish, you know, go back in time and and not have them, you you ha- they exist now, and you have to you have to try and keep a like keep a lid on it. I think is the phrase I used. Because um, like for example, I ended up feeling somewhat sympathetic for the colonel who starts off the series as kind of the heavy and you're like, oh, I don't like this guy. But they're all trying to like grapple with this question of like, what do you do with these people? And of course, Akira is the title character. You know, these like the phrase now you might almost use would be like post-human or like transhuman, um, like mutants or something. Um, but, But yeah, it's like this arms race and they're locked into it and you can't you can't get out of it there's no option of like, oh, we'll just not do it. Like they've already done it. They've already opened Pandora's box and now they're just stuck with kind of grappling the consequences. Yeah, they have, you know, you kind of get more detail on this going going forward, but they've basically tapped into some kind of like human, like next stage of like human evolution, sort of. And yeah. Tetsuo is a character who starts out as like one of like basically the good guys. And he sort of like gets inadvertently uh, wrapped up into that and starts like developing these powers. And like the colonel you mentioned is originally one of the government uh, people who's like trying to keep a lid on this. The Even like Tetsuo, I mean, there are times where you feel bad for him because he is ultimately not someone who chose to have this happen to him. So even though... In many parts, he fills the role of antagonist. You know, he's not, he didn't choose to have this happen to him, and he really doesn't understand what's happening. Yeah. So, of course, the one thing that you have to mention is as you are reading Akira, is that it is just like a uh, beautiful uh, comic book to behold. It is written and drawn by Katsushiro Otomo, and I believe he did have you know, assistance and things as a uh, prominent, like, manga artist would have. But what's so fascinating about, or what's so compelling about his work here in Akira is, like, you have these massive cityscapes where he has, 
this great like kind of draftsman perspective with all of these detail of these like huge uh, sprawling imagery of these like sci-fi cityscapes and like sci-fi machinery. But then as well, you have extremely expressive action with the characters. So it's like, it's, it's sort of like the best of both worlds, you know, with like an extremely like detailed when needed visual style that also lends itself to to action and to emotion because there is a lot of action in Akira. It is a um, very like fast moving, and you know because with the way we were describing it, you might think that it's like perhaps like ponderous and full of speechifying, but it is actually like really quick and really. Uh, action oriented and actually I think action is one of those things that's surprisingly difficult to pull off in comics despite how many like ostensibly action comics there are and I think he does it amazingly in Akira where it really like grabs you and propels you through all the twists and turns of this story with all of these exceedingly like well done action scenes that are always like topping one another and adding more and more sides until eventually i mean at the end of this book you have an enormous showdown with like a half dozen different groups of people and different forces like all converging in like one huge apocalyptic action sequence so it's not only like sprawling in terms of the themes of like you know the political and philosophical themes, but it's also just like a really thrilling read. Yeah. And I think, as you mentioned, you know, the art is amazing and it, there's a tremendous sense of, of motion of like propelling it along. And he does a great job of having a, a rising action and it like have like multiple climaxes. Cause there's like, there's like setups and then you'll like rise and it, it's not one per book really they kind of build up a couple times but then it'll it'll like have an a, a, one of these sequences and they're like fairly long like in-depth action sequences right and you're like you're like gripped in here and then it'll recede for a little while and, and kind of set some stuff up and maybe introduce you to how the world has changed and then it builds up again right and then it'll come down a little and then it builds up again so it's like this receding falling action over and over again but each time it's like building a little higher till as you mentioned the final struggle is just like completely completely over the top. It's almost like Wagnerian, Twilight of the Gods kind of stuff. Yeah. Which, as you mentioned, is an interesting contrast because you read the first thing and they're like a motorcycle gang. They're, yeah, they're like kids with motorcycles who have to worry about being scolded by like teachers. And then by the end, it's like the evolution of the human race and the survival of humanity as a species is like at stake. As you go on in the story, there's like these scenes of like citywide destruction, which are just like these like jaw dropping, like double splash pages of buildings like being destroyed. And just when you look at it, like it's really quite astonishing and like the skill at uh, at work here and displaying or in like as you go through this, it's it's pretty unbelievable. And it was also his like last major work in uh, comics. He basically got out of doing comics after this. I guess once you've been to the top of the mountain, you know, find something else to do, apparently. Yeah, you could see why someone would want to adapt this into a movie. But of course, you can't really adapt this into into a singular, you know, film. It, it, there's there's something there of like 
everything wanting to be adapted into a movie or to a show, but you really can't capture like all of this. It's, it's, it's something that really has to be a comic, I think. Yeah. And I mean, Otomo himself adapted into a film and the film is really good, but the right. comic is obviously a different thing. And it's actually, I mean, it's to his credit that he was able to just like ruthlessly edit it down into a movie and yeah. give you like the gist of it. But when you, when you read the whole thing, I mean, it's, it's like an epic. It's, it's a, yeah, there's some other, another character that I wanted to mention who is really enjoyable to read is uh, Chiyoko. And I don't even remember how she first gets involved in the story, but she is this woman who's like really tall, like towers over the other characters and is basically just like the, the most like, like a badass killing machine who's like, um, when you first meet her, she's like wearing an apron and she's like running around with like this huge machine gun, like blowing people away. Matt, what characters from Akira did you enjoy reading? Like I kind of said before, despite being, you know, despite being an anarchist uh, personally, I kind of had a lot of sympathy for the colonel. Yeah, he... Um, despite being out... like some kind of like, at the beginning, he's almost like a fascist. Well, he's the initial antagonist in the story. And the characters are like, for the first half of the story are basically uh, like he's the bad guy that they're always either fighting or running away from. And then without spoiling anything, there's like a large event that occurs halfway through. And then, yeah, he becomes more and more of a sympathetic character because he's, I mean, towards the end, he's basically trying to fix all of the problems that the government created by attempting to harness this like next stage of human evolution into a weapon. Yeah, yeah. So I had a lot of sympathy for the colonel, um, you know, and I had a lot of sympathy. I, I like the character of, of Tetsuo because there's times where you see behind the curtain a little bit and you feel bad for him. And there's times where Kanita wants to help him and, and, and you feel like maybe they could help each other. But there's, there's too much like animosity between the characters. It's an interesting dynamic, right? Because it, when the story starts, they're not, they're sort of friends. They're never really like best friends. They're more like acquaintances who have kind of a rivalry. Yeah. And and they fall pretty easily into, you know, being against each other. But but there is some some connection there. Yeah, because you do get flashbacks to when they first met as kids. And of course, Tetsuo is caught up in this like horrible changes of him becoming evolving de-evolving into whatever it is that he's turning into and the amount immense power that he's like struggling to wield yeah and then like the the female lead uh k also ends up sort of channeling it's you know in the book they end up calling it the power which is like this next stage of human evolution these like psychic powers that people end up wielding did you ever feel like that some of the action scenes like got repetitive because like in the first half of the story I found it's sort of odd how they kept like getting captured and then having to escape like you said there's this constant like rising action and I think the the turn that happens halfway through is like really useful for like upping the stakes yes. in a great way I think it does and I think upping the stakes is the right term because when you're starting out you don't think that's going to happen. And then he kind of like pulls the curtain back and you're in like a wider, a wider world than you thought you were. And he removes a sense of like normalcy. Like the story itself has no status quo. 
you know, like the world that they live in is is in motion. And it's different, you know, as you move through it. It's not like something that takes place in like a setting and the setting is just the background, right? Like the world is like shifting around them as you read it. And I think that that is important to upping the stakes. Um, yeah, I mean, they do spend a lot of the first part getting chased, chasing around. I, I could see that. You know, one thing that never got resolved, you remember in the very beginning, um, Kanita has apparently got someone pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of thought that would come up later somehow. Yeah, that's part of like their uh, the low stakes of like these kids getting into trouble. Is this but, uh, his, his girlfriend or, or some girl that he knows that he hooked up with tells him that she's pregnant? Yeah, and then he, I don't think you ever see her again. They got a uh, bigger fish to fry after that. Yeah, I really like the build up to learning to seeing Akira for the first time. Yeah, because they, they talk, talk about, about him, and you, it's like it's like uh, it's like um ahab talking about the whale in moby dick or something yeah uh, the way the colonel talks about akira and it kind of builds up to this moment and, and he does the um he does a really good job of like stringing that out so you're like you're like on the hook for this mystery of like what exactly is this and and why is it so important because it like just scares the bejesus out of the government or out of the military figures yeah they're at, when it starts out they're like afraid to like even say the name akira yeah, for fear that, like, someone's listening or something. Like, someone mentions it at some point, and they're like, how do you know about that? Yeah, and then when you finally... I don't know if it's a spoiler or two. He's probably, like, on... He's, like, on the cover of some of these volumes, but he's basically just, like, a kid. Right. And I liked the, um, the like, the sort of Mad Max angle at the end, because it's, like, one of the final battles is, is in, like, in a stadium or an arena. It's almost like a gladiatorial combat where they're all riding, like, vehicles that they've cobbled together. Yeah, there's... It's actually features several times is a stadium that they talk about that Tokyo was building to host an Olympic Games. Yeah. That ends up being, like, the, the site of, like, several different showdowns. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you mentioned, like, the military-industrial complex. I mean, it ties into the, the Olympics being, like, this international political thing. So it's like these these characters and these mutants like struggling in like in, in the ruins of the world as it presently exists with its political international systems, and as with any good Japanese story, the Americans are lurking in the background. Yeah, towards the end, you end up getting basically there's like a joint American, and this was in the eighties, so it's like American and Russian, um, like group of scientists that are attempting to solve you know, figure out what's going on. And then, yeah, there's like the American military is also ends up becoming a player at the end. So, you know, it, it, so when it talked, when I was talking about like a society that's like rotted by like the military industrial complex and by like militarism and violence, you know, it had, it ends up having that like global perspective of like these people who are just like regular citizens living in Neo Tokyo are just trying to survive like under the heel of the government and these like larger like forces that are have like created this huge problem and are unable to like resolve it or like fix it in any way. You know, cause there's also like a giant like uh, satellite with a laser that ends up like prominently featuring into the story later, which is another like government military industrial like weapon that they've created, which now like wreaks havoc on the world. And I won't give it away, but it, I think I thought the ending was uh, of the series as a whole was kind of like a superb 
uh, way to like settle the way they like settled that theme. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I love the ending, and it, it is almost kind of like an anarchist thing, which I suppose makes sense because the main characters are in a biker gang. Yeah, and man, you know, it's like you hear about, you know, like sometimes like artists don't like to draw certain things. Like some artists, like Mike Mignola, would talk about how he hated drawing like cars, and some artists like hate drawing horses. But like Katsushiro Otomo, man, that guy must love drawing motorcycles. The, the first part of this uh, story is all just these wild motorcycle chases. And then, like, machines in general and these, like, sci-fi robots and, like, flying machines. There's really nothing that this guy cannot uh, render amazingly. It's weird that he, I mean, it's kind of a shame that he, like, retired from from doing comics mostly. Because, I mean, it's hard to, like, overstate the uh, how wonderful this is to look at. Like, I'm holding volume three right now. And as you scroll through it, like the climax of volume three involves a, like a chase between there's like a tank and a bunch of like army guys and like the motorcycle guys, like all like chasing each other and stuff. Yeah, it reminds me of that. Those kind of storytelling elements that um, actually Alfred Hitchcock would use of like the chase within the chase. Yeah. Like you have multiple elements chasing after each other and the the detail, like the machinery uh, when they descend into like the base under the Olympic Stadium, yeah, it's, it's just it's, like intense the amount of detail. Yeah, like every you know, as like a sci-fi thing, he's like definitely not like attempting to cut any corners and like depicting like every single like bolt and rivets of all of the the machinery, which I think, um, in terms of like a cyberpunk aesthetic, helps to like show all of like the sort of grime and like the nitty gritty of like the world they live in and that this machinery is, especially as you see later on, is so prone to like decay and destruction. You, you know what thing we talked about on this podcast before that it kind of reminded me of? And you're going to groan and say, oh my God, shut up. Uh, okay. Do you have any guesses? It uh, reminded me actually of the first kingdom. You remember the first kingdom that you didn't like? Well, see, the first kingdom is, I think, yeah, the first kingdom is not very good. And the first kingdom, I think, exemplifies what I was talking about in terms of like really detailed artwork that has like no heart and soul to it that doesn't move. It has no emotion in it. It's not expressive at all. It's just like detailed pinups where you can see every little brushstroke, but then there's nothing else there. Whereas Akira never has that problem. Like everything, it's not just like detailed just for the hell of it. There's there's always like a, an emotional expressiveness to it. What I, The comparison I was going to make actually was the story. And the thing I like is, is when stories do this where they have uh, like a story within a story. So it's like a cosmic story or like some kind of meta story that's like a big picture thing that's about like the duel of the gods. And then you have the characters doing their own story that's like informing in on that and it's like jumping back and forth between the two and yes the highly detailed art which we won't have to rehash the first kingdom uh but that was a thought that i had there's actually a lot of things that made me think about reading it obviously as cyberpunk um it makes me think of like neuromancer although akira doesn't go into that kind of like specific technologies you know like they're not all hacking into things with their their watches or whatever but, you know, as far as cyberpunk goes, it made me think of that. Um, it made me think of something like The Matrix. And I already yeah. mentioned, like, Mad Max. I think there's a lot of, of things that would find their their original, like, kernel in, in this. 
Yeah, and I don't know if Blade Runner came out before this or like during it. They they may have been coincidental at the same time, but they both I think there is somewhat similarities visually in terms of like a sort of like cyberpunk dystopian future. So Matt, I guess just to um, wrap it up, we are kind of both in agreement that Akira is amazing and without a doubt lives up to its reputation as one of the greatest comics ever made. I think we both read it in the six volume uh, translated set published by Kodansha Comics. I, uh, Marvel Comics under its epic imprint actually did uh, reprinted it, I think in the early 90s as a 38 issue series in full color which I think would be uh, interesting because Otomo, I believe himself, like collaborated on the coloring of it. But anyway, we both read it in the Kodansha Comics volume. It lives up to all the hype and more. It's uh, an amazing work, a landmark work in the comics medium. If it isn't the greatest comic book ever made, it'll do until the greatest comic book ever made gets here. Yeah, Matt. and it's it's really interesting to read it now from, since it came out in 1982 and see all the things since then that have their steeds in here yeah like otomo really uh like dropped the mic and walked away and everyone is still like living in a shadow basically i mean maybe that's unfair to say but you can definitely see the imprint of this on all sorts of things like yeah especially like cyberpunk science fiction that kind of thing do you have any uh final uh closing thoughts that you would like on akira any favorite moments that are worth uh highlighting there's a part that made me laugh out loud there are several like uh pretty funny moments i like the recurring joke of canada always uh being really hungry and wanting to eat everything in sight there's a part where they're like they're eating there's like a cafeteria and they're eating a bunch of food and they're like something like this food is crap and he says what do you expect for free better crap <laughs> I, remember I don't that. know. It actually yeah. made me laugh while I was reading it. I, go, I giggled to myself. What about the character of Joker? Do you think he's better than the DC Comics Joker? I don't know if I go quite that far. Um, he he looks like a um, like Mexican wrestler. He is, and I actually did not pick up on this while reading it. But the character is apparently supposed to be a black guy. Oh, and he has different like face paint in basically like every scene he's in like towards the end he has this like tire tread on his face I, I yeah he's like a rival motorcycle gang leader that is in the beginning and then pops back up at the end i, no, I think akira is amazing i i would definitely recommend anybody read it and i'm not a person who's into um a lot of i i i'm still just a dabbler in in manga but it's you, you you definitely got to read it. I know a lot of people. If if you if you're big on manga, you've already read it certainly. Uh, but but if you're a dabbler like me, it's worth shelling out the 120, 120 bucks to get to get the six volumes. Yeah, and it because it reads really quick too because it's so there's like it's like constant nonstop action. Which is not to say that it's like soulless or there's nothing going on because it like we were kind of saying it like threads a needle perfectly of exploring all of these like really interesting th themes having like characters that you root for having these like apocalyptic stakes and then just keeping you turning every page with like these uh the non-stop twists and turns and action sequences
Thanks for listening. This was Army of Crime, your favorite comics podcast. Uh, my name is Matt and my co-host Dustin. I am on Twitter at Army of Crime. And Dustin is on Twitter at Dustin4444. Uh, website is armyofcrime.com if you want to look through our backlog. We thank you for listening. Uh, obligatory plug. Please leave five-star review everywhere, which all podcasts must give you. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button. Smash that subscribe button. Make more content. Uh, thanks for listening. Stay live out there, everybody. When you're like, oh, yeah, it's great. And you're like, yeah, it's like super awesome. Okay, cool. See you later. <laughs>